0: Welcome to the Ignite Podcast, where we introduce thought leaders and subject matter experts that you'll want to consider for your next corporate event. Now, here's your
1: host, Dennis Warden. Well, I want to welcome you to the Ignite Podcast, and uh, I am so excited to have... A good friend, and I always say that. But I feel like all of our Ignite speakers are good friends, and they—if they aren't at the beginning—they become good friends. And uh, but Randy Walton's been a good friend for a, gosh, 20 plus years, and uh, we've gotten to know each other. And uh, one thing about you, Randy, I don't—I don't think I leave a meeting or a time when you've done a um, a seminar, a workshop, or we've had uh, lunch at the airport. Um, that that I don't leave having learned something. And I always appreciate that about you. Uh, and, you know, And I've had the privilege of working with uh, some great people in the area of leadership, but you often take it to the next level. And so I'm looking forward to our time together. So welcome Randy Walton to the Ignite Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Dennis. I'm excited to be here. This is great. Uh, well, you know, one thing, uh, You've said that, um, you know, you've said that um, being a a healthy leader doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good leader. But at the same time, if you're an unhealthy person, well, you're not going to be a good leader. What do you mean by that? And and I mean, we're not talking about COVID type of health. What kind of health are we talking about? And and explain you know. that further. Yeah, I appreciate
0: that question, Dennis. I uh, you know, I think there's a principle behind this, right? And it's simply we want to treat leadership. I think all of us have a tendency to lean this way. And it probably doesn't apply to everybody, but the treat leadership a little bit like it's a set of skills, set of capabilities we need to develop. But I think there's something deeper and more profound in this that it has a lot to do with who we are deeply and fundamentally and you know kind of the old uh, expression you can put lipstick on a pig but it's still a pig and Mm -hmm. I think we had to be really careful sometimes that if we get so focused on the mechanics we lose sight of the fact that those things that would cause another person to look at us and say man he's a little unhealthy meaning um, maybe a little bit uh, egotistical or self-absorbed or overly competitive or whatever, right? All these things that are born out of these things that we would look at and say, that's kind of unhealthy behavior. Well, if that's there, all of the great leadership mechanics in the world aren't going to overcome that tension. So I think leadership starts, it's this journey into yourself that you've got to deal with you first. And when that happens now, the healthy part of you, that expression of all the things that we would look at and say, hey, you care about people, you care about uh, encouraging and building up others and creating value in the world for your clients and, and all the people that you deal with, then, right, you'll gravitate
1: towards the right tools and mechanics. Mm-hmm. So if I am a healthy leader mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, um, and I've got a team and, we're, and we're, as we discussed prior to going on, in fact, as you can see, I'm taking notes already. So um, um, as we discussed prior to going on this call, we were talking about the fact that in both of our businesses and in virtually all businesses, a great percentage of our team leadership our uh, productivity is being done online, whether it's Zoom or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and people are working from home. They're not ex- actually working in the office. How do how do you as a how do we as a, a leader make sure that our our teams are focusing on the right thing, that they are um, they're get, they're being energized, getting energized, being productive, delivering the goods on time. I mean there is it's you know if we took where we were October a year ago to where we are today, it's like mm-hmm. night and day, and we as leaders have had to pivot in in much of our leadership style. so how do we make sure our teams are focusing on the right thing, how do we make sure they're being productive and that we're energizing them yeah i I think it's
0: incredibly difficult right now I don't you know clearly none of us have. Lived through uh, a set of circumstances like this and so um, uncharted waters Um, but I think my observation uh, particularly in talking to a lot of the leaders I'm working with is what this has done is is it's taken any room for sloppiness sort of away you know I think there were a lot of ways that we might have had bad habits as leaders we Mm -hmm. might have allowed a lack of clarity to creep into our business where we're not being very explicit about the goal and the outcome and the expectations in the organization. It's sort of of assumed, right? We assume people kind of catch it in our presence and in our orbit, And, and to some degree, that's always going to be true. But now that that orbit's taken away, the responsibility that we have as a leader to be expressly clear, to say exactly what we mean, to point people in a direction towards a really clear, and I think somewhat compelling objective, has become that much more important, right? We can't, we can't sort of surround ourselves with this environment of, hey, we all come in, and we have a good time together, and, and somehow we assume that sort of people catch it, right? There's the whole, the whole phrase that, you know, culture is more caught than it's taught. Well, we don't have that luxury anymore, right? We mm-hmm. have to teach culture, and um, I think, I think there's, uh, you know, my good friend Andy Stanley has an expression that I love. He says that, um, that it's, it's, it's certainty is less important than clarity. Right? He's an illusion. And I think if we try to offer certainty to our teams, to the people we work with today, we can't offer certainty. We don't know what the future, for example, of, of COVID will be and how that will affect our business climate. But I think we can offer clarity to people. And I think that, that responsibility to be clear, even in the face of uncertainty is daunting for a lot of us as leaders. We, we're fearful. We don't wanna make promises we can't keep. We don't want to try to predict a future that we may not be able to understand. And I think that for leaders, that often leads to this kind of, this quietness, this, this, this sense of shutting down and isolation. We just sort of, we retreat back into these very tactical and functional things. We're just gonna get busy on the business. And we miss the fact that all of the people who work for us, they're also complex beings and they have uncertainty about the future and they're worried. Sometimes for us as a leader to walk in and say, Hey, I can't tell you what's going to happen, but I have a plan for what we're going to do next. And here's what I want us to accomplish. This is the outcome I hope that we can arrive at. And I don't know that we can do it, but I feel good about this as a direction. And here's the role that you play. Here's how you, contribute, how you're important, no matter what your role is to the organization. And, and I know that sounds very simplistic. It's not a, it's not a complicated idea, but it, it requires a real deliberate and intentional effort. I'm, I've got a, an organization right now. They're, uh, they're about a $75 million company, manufacturing company, phenomenal culture, great leaders, great people. Uh, it's all the things that you would want to do and do right in the way you build a business. They're, they're really, they're really scary. And um, and with COVID, it's had an a impact on some very downstream things from the people that they sell to, sell to, and it's, it's had a real impact on their overall business. And and so they did find themselves in a trap of just sort of like, well, we're just holding on. We're just in a waiting game. And they didn't really think it mattered. But what it was, it was just sending a message to all the people in the organization that, mm-hmm we don't know what we're doing and we don't know where we're going. And you know, the difference between being a manager and organizing work is very different than being a leader. Right. I always think about leadership involves a a, a journey, right? You Mm -hmm. need to, that's, that's the point of leading. Leading isn't going somewhere. So if you're going to be a leader. You have to express that we're going somewhere. Even if you say, I don't know what that destination looks like. Mm -hmm. I just know these are some milestones. And I think if we're moving in that direction, we'll feel confident. And it's astonishing how often people they grab onto our confidence and they grab onto your confidence as a leader, and they say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to take that risk, and I'm willing to go on this journey with you because you're offering me the hopefulness that if I, can, if I can take certain actions, if I can play a role in this, maybe we can maybe we can do really, really well despite the discomfort and, and the uncertainty about the world that we're sitting in. And so that explicitness, it's, it's really, really hard because it's sometimes out of our comfort zone as leaders. Mm-hmm. We feel like we're being dishonest. Right.
1: Well, one of our mutual friends, John Maxwell, uh, often says, you know, if you're, um, if you're um, scaling the mountain, you know, and you turn around and nobody's following you, you're only taking a walk, you know, it's like, so you're talking about leadership and you're talking about people following you, and if nobody's following you, you're only taking a walk. The question is, how do you inspire people? How do you, during this time, I mean, so we're talking back and forth and we're having some good dynamic on, you know, a Zoom call and that. It's a little different than if I'm in my office, you're in your office, you come by and you spr- you sprinkle a little Randy Walton angel dust on me and I'm, in, I'm inspired to take on the next, you know, the next project, you know, and that. Mm-hmm. So, because, you know, it's really... On, on the end of the, I'm going to use the term follower. On the end of the follower or the employee, mm-hmm. it's really their choice. It's discretionary whether they receive your inspiration or they say, you know, you know, nice try, you know, Randy, you know, I, I you know, you kind of given me an idea. You have some idea where we're going, but I'm still not really sure. And uh, so, how how do you do that inspiration? How do you do it in this type of a uh of a time that we're in. Yeah Uh, I've always kind of my
0: mental picture around this is I think of it like a lawn. You can't fix your lawn in a weekend you know. Uh, you, You have to constantly water and fertilize and then you have to you have to mow it and prune it if you will in a very precise fashion and and if you do that you'll have this amazing and wonderful result but it's a lot of very small very sort of mundane habits that need to be cultivated to produce this this extraordinary outcome at the end right you can't just go out and say well if i can just give that law the right cut right then i solve the problem and i think sometimes as leaders we we get into the the tension and the rigor of the business and then all of a sudden we find there's this moment where i need to inspire people and sometimes what we do is we just can, it's like this it's like this grand mall effort we're going to show up one day and i have to say this great thing and i think we treat this inspiration idea too much is something that happens from here,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not enough something that happens from right here. I think the most powerful inspiration happens and has to happen intimate and kind of one to one level. Now there is a there is a component of inspiration that is um, motivational. It is casting vision. It's what lighthouse are we steering towards? That's very aspirational in its nature. But you know, if you think about people in, who inspire you. Um, one thing that I think is true for all of us is that a person that we don't personally respect doesn't do very much to inspire us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even if we don't respect everything about them, there's to be something about the nature of who they are that can inspire us. I mean, we, we think about entrepreneurs who are very famous in our culture today. Some of them from a personal standpoint, we might look at and say, I don't know that I want to emulate who they are, but there's an aspect of what they bring creatively or uh, entrepreneurially that we're like, wow, that's extraordinary and I would love. To be like that, we have to we have to cultivate that credibility through our character, and yes, our personal competence fits into that. But if if I've got a if I've got a, a sort of way on the side of where I want to air, I'm going to air towards character, towards that sense of responsibility to people. And you know, John Maxwell has said so often, as others have said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think it's a little we say that, and it's a bit cliche now, but it's no less true or important. For us to remember that. So, um, you know, the work I do very often, I spend a lot of time with leaders and and it's on Zoom calls. It's doing what we're doing right now. And the the ability for me to to jump straight into, let's talk about the issues of your business. Let's talk about the, the concerns that you have. Let's talk about what's happening in your market. That's an easy place for us to go. And frankly, it's a little bit more superficial, but how are you feeling about, organization right now how are you feeling about the role that you're playing about your leadership that requires a deeper level of trust and intimacy and i don't build that in the moment of crisis i build that long before the crisis happens right so i've got to water that ground i've got to spend time in all of those one-to-one things and it is not efficient you know we're, we're busy we're stressed we're tired we have a lot of things going on and there's always a problem to capture our attention so how do you how do you elevate these essential but but not urgent things to a place where they get your attention because then you have this currency you have this relational currency you've built over time and when urgency hits and when there's stresses and struggles and you can go to someone and say hey i'm really i'm really counting on you in this moment what you get is not some the the, the sort of stereotype of an employee who's just trading time for dollars you get someone who's invested in that and they want to live up to your expectations and they want to go the extra mile to fulfill the promise of the, the company and the business and what you're doing, the service you provide. And so, you know, it's, it's all of these small things that you do that lead up to it. They're very habit-based. Sort mm-hmm. of things. Well, this is kind of goes back to the first thing we talked about, right? Which is if, if you um, can't get to a place in your life where you can really care and, and deeply care about the success and the, the, the contribution of people that some of whom will play very important senior roles. And sometimes they play small roles that might be mundane, but they're, they're none less extraordinarily important. It'll be very hard in that moment for you to develop any kind of, of influence and ultimately for that to lead to any level of inspiration. Sometimes people just need to know, um, of the potential you have. My, my wife is, uh, is extraordinarily good at creating followership. And, and what I mean by that was she's a teacher, but her, her leadership as a teacher went far beyond her role in the classroom. Uh, students reaching out privately and constantly. And years later, she still has students that she meets with on a regular basis that seek her counsel. And, and she would tell me, she said, I really don't do too much. I just help tell people the truth about who I think they are, hmm. the best version of who they are. And we, we, all of us um, can get extraordinary value from having somebody tell us the best version of who we are. And, and I find the same thing is true when I'm working with a CEO and I do the same thing with the CEO and I, I help them see, hey, there's this wonderful capability in you. There's this wonderful potential in you. And, and you can be the person that you aspire to be. And then they learn to turn around and to take that into the organization. And it gets repeated. Over and over and over again, people desperately want to live up to the best version of who they are and who they want to be, and and that's it's a very it's a very simple idea, but it's very hard to do in practice. And I think when that happens, inspiration and connection and motivation, and ultimately through that discretionary effort, it can't help but follow.
1: Hmm. I I hear, I believe what I hear, Randy, is that um, the character of a leader is bar none the, the standard for what people are going to and how they're going to respond to you. I mean, you know, if they say, you know, you are a man of character, you are a woman of character, I want to follow you. But the minute you violate your character or what they perceive your character to be, you've lost influence, you've lost the ability to inspire.
0: I, I I absolutely think that's true I absolutely think that's true. I think we we see example after example of that in our popular culture, and I think that' it 's just as true in, in a private sense um, it's, It is inviolable it, you know great character can overcome gaps in our capability, mm-hmm. for example it, that vulnerability to say hey i don't understand this.' but I'm very committed to doing the right thing here. And I need to recruit the rest of you to help us be mm-hmm. successful. That helps other people play a role because their competence becomes important to the success right. of the organization. Yeah. But you, you can't outsource your character, right? To the rest of the organization. That's right. ultimately, it's still your responsibility.
1: Love it. Um, our guest today on the ignite podcast is Randy Walton. You can learn more about Randy and, uh, booking him as a, a speaker once we're all back on the speaking tour circuit. <laughs> but uh, go to igniteadvisorygroup.com and you'll find all the information there about uh, Randy Walton, just a, a great guy as you're learning here. I'd like a l- couple, a little bit of personal insight. Tell me, uh, we're, we're, we're watching you, listening to you, viewing you from your office. Um, um, you've got a photo behind you that's got a street. That's kind of an interesting photo. What's that's all about?
0: thanks I uh yeah I was um I've always been a bit of uh of an art fan and uh in fact I have two of my daughters are are graphic designers and uh, I think it kind of runs in the family a little bit Uh, I've never had any talent just appreciation but uh I was actually at the San Francisco San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and there was an exhibit by Matisse and and a guy named Diebenkorn who was kind of the American Matisse and uh this is uh this is a piece that he did, actually, uh, in the California coast, and it was just something about it that I just uh, thought was just really calming, and cool. so I, I literally, I got it, framed it, and it kind of is the centerpiece of my office.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and the uh, the statue of the man to your left, <laughs> that Will Rogers, <laughs> well, That was it?
0: yeah that was a trophy from a golf tournament (laughs) how did you do Uh, (laughs) yeah well we we won that one but it was a team effort and I was uh, I was the weak link let's just call it that
1: (laughs) Uh, great well you can tell by the by the the core behind me that uh, I found great relaxation in being the in the outdoors Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, so um, uh, and along those lines uh, what are you reading right now Oh, boy. Um, you know,
0: it's, it's interesting. I'm actually going back and rereading a couple of old favorites. Late um, by Thomas Friedman. Just a, I think it's just an extraordinary uh, perspective on a lot of these huge cultural shifts and these dynamic shifts that are happening in our world. And, um, uh, and so I've, that's been really fascinating because even though it's a few years old, the thought process that goes into it is still true today. Um, and I think it pointed to some bigger cultural trends that, uh, that we're all experiencing. And, uh, and I'm a huge, uh, I love reading historical work. I just, uh, just finished the splendid in the vial, uh, by uh, Eric Larson, which is about, uh, Churchill during, uh, the, the, the bombing in London when they, during world war II and just extraordinary history. I love that. So to see how leaders are bearing up under stress is always
1: is very interesting. That's great. Well, speaking of leadership and, um, The whole area of, especially right now, but um, even when things return to whatever normal looks like. But um, how do we? We you know uh, we often talk about accountability as leaders. You know how do we? um, Right now, there is a high level degree of trust because most employees are working from home. Uh, the accountability is not where, you know, you're, you know, looking down and just observing. And so there's, there's a lot of trust there, but how about this whole issue of, um, of accountability? Because it's, it's difficult for us as leaders uh, to, to, uh, to require, let alone um, uh, measure, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I,
1: I love watching, I'm a big movie buff and
0: I really love watching movies, but I think there's this stereotype that shows up in a lot of movies of the, the senior leader, the executive being a bit of a tyrant, uh, dogmatic and, and sort of screaming and yelling and, you know, accountability is not a problem for those people, right? They, they can, they're going to hold you accountable uh, regardless and there's a bit of an evil intent in that. And I think that hasn't done us any favors as leaders because I think we treat accountability as if it's, it's an unkindness mm-hmm. that comes from us, right? Like I have to be the bad guy, right? My job to come to you, accountability by its very nature says I'm holding you accountable for something that didn't live up to expectations. And so I think we see that as a negative. But I think there's another, there's a flip side to that concept of accountability, which says accountability is also a kindness. Accountability is a statement that says, I actually believe you can do what you've been asked to do. Accountability mm-hmm. says, I see the higher potential in you and I'm calling you up to that higher potential. And so we talked about great cultures. People believe the best in each other, they want the best for each other, and they expect the best from each other. And believing the best in each other means that I, I, I see the best of intent in your actions. Wanting the best for you says, I actually wanna see you be successful and your success doesn't steal from me. but The, I expect the best from you is that's where accountability comes into play. And I think when we shift in our mindset, right, when we, when we realize that to not hold someone accountable is really implicitly saying, I didn't actually think you could do it. It's not fair for me to hold you accountable because it was too big. It was beyond your skill, your capability, whatever it might be. That's not fair. When we, when we ask a a child, we ask a three-year-old to pick their toys up, we have a pretty you know, moderated expectation of how successful they're gonna be. Uh, we typically come in and we find them playing with them, right? And when we ask our 16 year old to pick up their room, we have a very different set of expectations. They're very capable of doing that. Similarly, if you're new in the organization, right, it's my responsibility to know what you're capable of and to constantly sort of push you a little bit. I mean, think about just the concept of delegation, the reason we give work out to other people, you know, I think we can fall into the trap of believing we do that to get more done. I've got a lot to do. I want to get more done. Let me just give that work out to everyone. But I think that that leads us to then delegate to people whom we have complete confidence that they can do it because they've already done it a bunch of times, which doesn't grow anybody. But what if, what if the bigger purpose in delegation was ultimately to develop people? Well, to do that, we have to constantly be giving things to people they've never done. Otherwise, it won't develop them. So if we're giving things to them they've never done, then we owe them feedback. We owe them clarity on, hey, you did a pretty good job there. Let's talk about where you did well. Let's talk about where you might have fallen short in expectations. And then, hey, now my conversation with you is not so much about beating you down for the things that you missed on, but it's about building you up in those areas to grow your capability. I got to, you see, it's, it's the, re, the reframing. It's the mental shift I have to make later leader change the way I engage with you around accountability. Hmm. Not, not the other way around, right? It, it, it's, it's my job to do that now. I will say, sometimes we don't create uh, great accountability conversations because we failed to create actual clarity of what the expectation mm-hmm. was in the front end. So we're, we were vague and then, well, any expectation of, like any accountability conversation, if I come to you and said, well, you didn't meet my expectations and you know the person was like, well, I didn't know what your expectations were. Then we kind of crumble because we realized it was partially our fault. So we, we have a duty on the front end to create very, very clear expectations. If we do that accountability does get easier. But again, this mental shift, this coming to the realization that to not hold someone accountable is actually an unkind thing to do. is very hard.
1: Hmm. And as a leader, that's something that um, needs to be communicated company-wide so that, uh, and then lived out in the way that you then call people to the right kind of accountability. That seems like most of us, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think even you as a leader, you have to expose yourself to that same thing, right? You have yeah. to make yourself vulnerable to accountability. Yeah. Because I was going to say, it seems like most of us bring into our marriages or bring into the workplace things from our childhood, some things from, mm-hmm. you know, from the bullies on the playground. You know, we all bring things mm-hmm. into our adult life and into the, to the workplace so that accountability to some uh means you know somebody with a hammer over their head and so Mm -hmm. others that may have been brought up in a in a culture like you're talking about says man randy believes in me i'm you know i'm gonna i'm gonna show him that i can do it yeah well i think
0: you know there's a lot of people have said this the method is the message right that it's not just that you have the accountability conversation but it's how you do it you know you you talk about what we bring into we psychologists refer to this concept of family of origin you know mm-hmm. that in my family conflict was quick uh, it was uh pretty directed in your face and then it was over and it wasn't personal and it didn't carry forward i married my, my if my wife were here she'd be comfortable with me sharing this but i married in, into a family where um it's a lot more civil it's a lot more polite on the surface but people they let their grudges kind of fester because we don't talk about them and so when we came together in a, in a marriage relationship we had very different ways of dealing with each other. And, and so my directness seemed like harshness to her. And her maybe more passive approach to dealing with that conflict, I didn't even see it happening. I was, I was ignorant to it. And we had to figure that out. We had to learn that. And people do that. They bring their parenting history into their work environment. They bring their last boss. They bring the coach they had in, in in sports, right? They bring the the teacher. There's all of these influences that begin to shape how we receive feedback. And, you know, great leaders have to be a bit of a psychologist, right? You have Mm -hmm. to start to discern who who needs it straight and who needs it more gently to understand that that feedback is really, really important. Mm. A passive way to do that. But having said that, um, I also think that uh, there's a there's a there 's a direct and firm but also kind and caring way to do it that that is probably the best way to sort of straddle that line between between you know being very soft and gentle is hey, I absolutely believe in your capability to be successful you didn 't meet standards and expectations and to be very unequivocal about that it 's not something that that I think most of us want to have to spend the time to do that because it just feels like, Hey, we're, mm-hmm. we're running hundred miles an hour and this needs to be quick. I need to let you know, I need to move on. Um, I will tell you most, most of the leaders I deal with, it's, it's not a problem of over directness. It's a problem of, of lacking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're really talking about human behavior here mm-hmm. and, um, why i mean you're very strong in the area of believing in the importance of one's uh you know personal values one's um you know deep beliefs and uh, how do those play into your role as a as a leader
0: mm-hmm. you know i think in in you know it's such an interesting idea right i have to be careful i don't want to get too theoretical here but <laughs> What we believe is what drives or what we value. And when I say value, I don't mean like moral values, like, you know, don't kill people. We would assume everybody shares those values. We hope that everybody shared that value, right? I, I mean more like uh, choice values, like is family important or is career important? I don't know. It depends on where you are in your life. It depends on who you are. It depends on a lot of things. And, and your choice and my choice might be different, and it doesn't make either one of us wrong but it's going to make it much harder for us to really connect you know if i if i love soccer and you love football and we get together to talk about the game and we have you know i don't really care about football i'm all about soccer well it's not that one of us is wrong but it's hard for us to meet Mm -hmm. there if if i care about um civility and kindness, I care about being gentle with people's feelings and you care about being direct, not because you believe it's unkind, but because you want to be honest, right? We, we both might see ourselves as being kind, but in very, very different ways because we value different things. And so it's going to manifest itself in different behavior. So if we really want to help shape the way our organization thinks, we have to encourage people to begin to adopt and understand what we value much more than how we want them to behave. I can, I can control behavior if I need to. It's exhausting and time-consuming, and the people being controlled don't like it, and frankly, I don't like the controlling, but it does work for a while, and eventually people decide they don't like to be controlled, so we think, okay, well, if I can just educate you, if I can just explain to you the motivation behind this, that will help, and it does work to some degree, but there's things that you and I both know really, really well that we don't do. Mm. You know, we... We stay up too late, we don't get enough sleep. We know what healthy diets look like, but we don't eat the right foods. Well, why? It's not because of of knowledge. It's not because of understanding. It's because, hey, I don't always eat as healthy as I ought to because for me, food is a reward, it's gratification, it's it's a way that I connect socially with other people. I mean, all these things, food means a lot more than just nutrition. And, And therefore, I'm motivated to treat it differently similarly when we have a team working in our organization if they value a great customer experience right they'll they'll figure out behaviors that might not be exactly our behaviors but they'll figure out behaviors that get them a lot closer to the target than if they value I just want the problem to go away and no problems is success for me hmm. and, and we've we have to discern that so values are incredibly important and we have to we have to spend a lot of time really helping people to reframe their understanding of their values or what they believe to be important because if we can get people to embrace and adopt what's valuable to us as a leader they will they will at least the broad strokes of what they do they'll get it right and they'll seek the information to perfect that over time
1: Does that makes sense right. yeah yeah um, I'm still I'm still trying to I want to make the connection or help me make the connection between, especially between beliefs, but, um, and there are those core values that all of us bring into, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's integrity or, you know, whatever we bring in that, as we mentioned earlier, can be, you know, with one dumb (laughs) move can be lost, you know, and take if ever reach you know, come back as far as one of your, Mm -hmm. uh, So, well, you're Dennis. You're known as a man of integrity, and then you blow it. Well, it's going to be a long time before anybody ever says that again, right? So, but these core beliefs as a um, as a leader, um, living those out are you know are are, is really challenging, especially in this. I think in this day and time when there's so much you know uh, question about leadership and so much question about you know whether is he or she in this for themselves or, you know, as you know, and, it, and, it, and, and at the end of the day, um, people need to know, like you have said already, but they need to know that you are who you say you are. Right. Dennis, have you ever had a person
0: treat you badly in a professional context? Sure. Yeah, I think we've all had that. I've, I've certainly had that. And in those moments, it's very easy for us to apply what we would call intent to their behavior. You, you lied to me because you're a dishonest person. You, um, you stole that account from me. You, um, you yelled at me. You, whatever. But we always apply this kind of negative intent but i 've never talked to someone who said to me in a very honest conversation, oh, "I acted very badly towards that other person because i 'm a bad person right we 're all the hero in our story we 're always there we 're always the, 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 the person operating now I might behave badly I might, um, I might be harsh with you but I was harsh with you because I felt like I was protecting something that was important. It might be me, or it might be a principle. but whatever it is, I I can, I can be impatient with you because I feel that you are violating something. So we make those trade-off choices all the time. As leaders, we decide that our bad behavior is justified by our good intent, but for the, personally the other side of that experience, it's just bad behavior. They can't read our intent. They're going to apply motive to us. That's a bad motive. I've, I've had that happen. I've had an employee say to me, well, you did that because you just think you're smarter than everyone. And I thought, I, I don't think that at all, but I don't know how to prove that to you at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of stuck. And I think that for us, part of what we have to do is we have to learn to reframe our experiences. That employee didn't failed to hit the deadline because they think they're a bad employee. Something else is going on and I need to be able to see the best in them. I have to say, were you, were you afraid? Were you paralyzed with uncertainty about what to do? Um, are you overwhelmed? Are you not just invested in this, right? If I failed to connect the dots for you so that you feel that you have a role here and that, that this is a great place for you to be successful. And, and yeah, sometimes the hard truth of that is that if people don't line up in those ways, they might need to find another place. They may need to find a place where they can have that connection, where they can really be energized by their work. But I think more often than not, the challenge that we have is that we have uh, we have a chance to help reframe people's understanding of what they're doing. Hmm. And, and when we do that, when we help them understand that we do believe the best in them, when they, we help them understand that, um, that even if we've acted badly, that it was an honest mistake because our intent was positive and that we see the same in them. We'll go a long way towards mitigating some of the noise and the energy and the distraction that gets in the way of the things that we're trying to do. But that's part of the responsibility of leadership is to reframe our perspective Hmm. on our hardships. That's
1: great. Um, I was sitting here thinking, as you were saying that just the importance of having somebody like you or somebody like a personal coach, or having somebody on your team um, that uh, will speak truth to you as a leader—it's um, because we do, you know, believe our own press clippings that we've re- written ourselves, you know. But it's you know, but but for somebody um, to to be able to point that out um, is is so helpful, and um, and but too many leaders surround themselves with um, as they become more powerful or more powerful. They surround themselves with people that, that, um, you know, play into this persona that, you know, that they've created. So it's, it's important. I think you just said something really important
0: too. Um, I think a lot of very successful leaders, right? They're typically in a place where they have more autonomy in terms of choosing the people that will be on their teams. And I don't gravitate to people who agree with me because I want yes men. Mm -hmm. I gravitate to people who agree with me because I think they might be right since they agree with me. Mm -hmm. I I naturally think I'm right. I naturally think I have the right perspective. And so for me to gravitate to someone who is got a different view and a different perspective is very, very challenging. So we'll we'll hear that sort of stereotype of the leader that surrounds themselves with with the quote, yes men sort of stereotype, right? And we want to almost treat it as if they to do that but it's a pretty natural progression Mm -hmm. we're we're, we're looking for we want unity we want alignment of interest we want people who care about what we care about and so the people who agree with us care about what we care about and I think that's great for us to do that but then we have to have that dose of reality we have to understand that um, that does put us in a position where we can we can all sit around and and I heard years ago that a, a giraffe is a horse put together by a committee (laughs) because, you know, we, we, we don't want to agree with each other. So we're all like, oh yeah, well, if the horse was taller, that would be so much greater. And, And it was something that doesn't solve the problem that we were trying to solve. And I think that, I think we just have to hold on to this idea that we, 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 we have to architect sort of an honesty in exchange with other people. And we have to recognize sort of these things that we are prone to. That's where outside counsel becomes very useful. for for people um, because it is somebody that own any land so to speak where you live so they don't have the same things to defend
1: yeah well our guest today on the ignite podcast has been randy walton and um um, and randy i mean you've you know you do consulting and speaking uh, both here across the u.s and internationally and uh, we've connected sometimes when you're on your way to to the UK or various parts of the world, but, um, but uh, uh, do a lot in the area of consulting businesses and business leadership and, uh, and of course, on the speaking side as well. Um, what's a win for you when you, you know, you, you, yeah, you're getting on the plane on Thursday this week and making a flight up to meet with a company um, and, you you know, you leave, uh, you leave your home, you fly up, you do your deal for two days, you fly home. What's a win? What, what says, you know, that was, that was a good trip. That was worthwhile. I I made, a, I made this difference or what's a win for you when you work with a client, whether it's speaking or consulting? Yeah, uh, that's an easy one for me to answer because it's really kind of the fuel that
0: I, I feel like I live on a little bit. I, I love seeing leaders have that, aha moment, right? Not, not, not because of something that necessarily I said or did, but I love when you see people sort of have these breakthrough moments where they, all of a sudden, you know, it really clicks in a deep and and visceral way for them. Like, ah, I can do this. I can do something different. I can take us in a different direction. I can lead in a different way. And when you see that happen, that, that's permanent. That's, not just, you know, something nice that's optically, you know, satisfying or everybody was happy in the room and rah, rah. It's you're different on the other side of that experience. And when leaders that I'm working with have those aha moments and they all of a sudden, now they see the world differently and they act and lead differently and they're starting to see it replicated in their teams and in their people, that Absolutely, I mean, I—that's the the greatest thing in the world for me. It, it makes me feel like I'm really living out my purpose.
1: Yeah, that's great. And there's nothing like laying your head down on the pillow at night and knowing that, um, to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. you fulfilled your purpose. And um, that's awesome. Absolutely. I want to thank you, Randy, for being our guest today on the Ignite podcast. I encourage our listeners and viewers to go to igniteadvisorygroup.com and um, you'll see the uh, URL here at the close of the uh, podcast. But um, learn more about Randy, book him to come in uh, to speak, Not if not in person, by Zoom. And if not by Zoom or by coming in to speak, uh, to certainly do uh, consulting work with your company. But um, just a I highly recommend a good friend and a great leader himself, uh, Randy Walton. Randy, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Dennis. I love what you're doing here. So appreciate it. righty. Thank you much.